When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Exactly 25 years ago, a chorus line ended its record streak as the longest-running Broadway show in history, when it was dethroned by Cats after 6,137 performances. I spoke to Broadway legend Donna McKechnie about the legacy of a chorus line when she starred in The Pajama Game at Arena Stage in 2017. We are here with... Donna McKechnie. Who plays? Mabel. In the pajama game. <laughs> My now, character voice. Yeah, there it was. She slipped into it briefly. Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks so much for joining us. This is You're a legend of the industry, and, and we just really appreciate you joining oh, us. Oh, my, my pleasure. All right, I want to go all the way back. Growing up in Pontiac, Michigan, right? Is that where you were born? I was born there, but I Where'd didn't live there. Where did you actually I, grow up? I, I grew up in um, the suburbs of Detroit, Royal Oak, Michigan. Okay. So you know a little bit Berkeley, about the whole Troy, the yeah. factory, you know? It wasn't oh, pajamas, yeah. but that it was, was cars. The background. But... That was the background. Yeah. Tool and die manufacturing, right. <laughs> so you can relate a little to that, yeah, the yeah. factory elements. So what I'm just, you know, how did, how did you actually, so in that, you know, that we're talking about, you know, every, it's like a huge auto industry. How do you fall for musicals? Was it seeing, I read somewhere you saw the red shoes or what? Yes, what, what? that's exactly it. It's a yeah. typical story almost. And we found out that it was typical when we all sat around talking about why we started dancing. Um, and um, for most, it was going to the movies. The movies gave us so much, you know. I didn't know there, I mean, there was a New York. I mean, I knew about New York when I was very young because right. of all the Sid Cherise, sure. Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers. Um, and the red shoes literally changed my life. Palin Pressburger. It, pardon me? Michael Palin, Emmerich Pressburger. Yes, right yes, now. yes, yeah. And so my mother was my champion, and she found... I was very lucky that there were two really great teachers in the Detroit area, uh, Pamela Dunworth in Dearborn and uh, Rosemary Floyd in Royal Oak. And um, they're still with us, and, you know, they don't teach anymore, but they're, you know, they're wonderful women. And they, uh, I, I had this great ballet training, which is when I talk to young dancers, I say, whatever you do, just keep doing your ballet because that is uh, going to take you wherever you need to go um, style-wise. Why is that? Explain that. Why, why is that the core of what everything because else it's, can bring? It's how, it's, it's, you, you do, when you dance, you, you're asking your body as you're growing up with dance to do these unnatural things that aren't meant to be. Right. So you have to have a technique to find your way there and also to protect yourself from injury. You have um, an ability to keep your muscles yeah. intact, to stretch, to, you know, you have a technique. 
That's amazing. All right, so then how do we how do we move to to New York? We you go there. This could what, be a eight, long story. Yeah, I try to make it short. Yeah, yeah. But you, didn't you join radio? You tried out for Radio City. That was one of my first jobs because I ran away from home to join this dance group, um, and then uh, I think my parents uh, want you know were were hoping I would come home, and if they didn't support me, send me money, whatever, and so it kind of fueled my passion to, to keep working. <laughs> Um, and to show them that I could do it and I could be okay. So it was a desperate thing for me to keep working on my own and not expect support. I got a job when there was a ballet um, a corps at R Radio City that's no longer there. And yeah, and I, for five days, I think, I did it. Just five days? And I got West Side Story, but I was so young and naive, I didn't know that you had to give notice. So yeah. they thought I was hit by a truck. They, the costume was made. We did our dress rehearsal. It was horrible. They thought you were hit and by I, a truck. I mean, yeah, really, they didn't hear the snapping off. They, <laughs> they should have known where you were. <laughs> Who were you? What, what it was, was embarrassing it? anyway. I can talk about it now, yeah. perhaps. Yeah, now we can, all these years later. No, but yeah. what, what was the West Side Story? Did you? Was this a tour? Or was it, it was or, a tour. Frank Cassaro okay. directed it. Uh, oh, so many dancers that... Um, that did the show, you know, after yeah. Robin's first uh, cast. Which started down here, by the way, in D.C., oh. National Theater, very first, because wow. Cheetah Rivera was, was D.C. native, yeah. Wow, Isn't that's that crazy? right, of course. There you go. Wow, it's fantastic. <laughs> so those were my, you know, my heroes, all those West Side Story people, and they became my, my dance teachers in New York for jazz, and, uh, you know, and then it was just audition, audition, yeah. audition. Yeah. So, all right. So you audition, audition, audition. You finally make your Broadway debut in It's How to Succeed in Business. Right, Is that what it right, was? Right. And there you meet Bob Fosse, right? Bob Fosse and Gwen and Verdon. Any legends working yeah. on that one. But, all right. It's, explain what you learned from those two. I mean, you're young and impressionable coming oh, up. But yeah. working with them, that elevates you immediately. It has to. And what I, what I loved about it was that um, uh, Bob Fosse gave us an assignment to that we, all of our characters, we were nameless, we were the core, you know, the, the ensemble. <laughs> yeah. This is when they had a lot of singing dan and dancing boys and girls, they yeah. called them, you know, and then the principals. Um, he said, you, I want you each to write a, um, a summary of your character, your life, what, who you're, you know, it's kind of like what you do in a basic acting class. Sure. I'd never heard of such a thing. And, and he said, every time you enter, you are coming from some place and know why you're coming there, what you were doing there. Okay. To every last chorus person, he said, this is your assignment. And what are your relationships with each other? And what was so brilliant about um, just fundamental basic things that he was giving us as actors was that it just you know, touched our imagination and we could go on from there. And he picked people who were... Um, uh, individuals, all sizes, shapes, as he did with all of his shows. Mm -hmm. So that was a, and Gwen, you know, was our dance captain. She was a great star then, of course, but between shows, that's what she loved to do because Jack Cole, you know, when they did movies together, mm -hmm. that she would work with him. So she was in her, in heaven there with assisting, you know. Yes. But you're so intimidated because there's Gwen Verdon, right. you know, telling you to. Could you move over a little bit to this person? And anyway, she was fantastic. <laughs> How do you overcome the intimidating factor, though, and just actually... I never did, actually, oh, yeah. with her. 
Some people are just like that. You never... Yeah, yeah. No, she's, she's up there. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay, so I'm trying to move a little chronologically yeah, in my mind. <laughs> well, there's a lot to go through, <laughs> but so we won't hit it all. But didn't you, Ethel Merman, at one point, working alongside her, right? Yes, I did. I did work with Ethel Merman, and I loved her, and I admired her, too. But uh, she was, uh, this is, could be a long story, and I'll try not to make it. But <laughs> I got all the time uh, in the world. Was, you do what you got to do. She was intimidating. Um, uh, I remember I would, I, I would have done anything to um, please her because I admired her. And we were in St. Louis and uh, in the Muni Opera, and it's so hot, and I'm sweating and everything because I, now I have a dance number because the choreographer knew I was a dancer. And so Ethel Merman sent a message back with the stage manager, and I said, oh, whatever, I'll, I'm so happy to do whatever, you know, she suggests. And he said, she said to stop perspiring so much, it bothers her concentration. <laughs> and he kept saying, it's not for me, it's not yeah. for me, it's not my note. Yeah. I said, anything, anything. So I was stumped. <laughs> I said, okay, I'll do my best. You're like, is that it? Is there any other, you know, acting or <laughs> dancing tip? No, just stop well, sweating. She was so very much. famous, you yeah. know, for saying to Jerome Robbins, um, uh, what is this guy doing? And Jerry said, you know, he's reacting to you, Ethel. And she said, I don't react to him and he don't react to me. <laughs> so, That's just great. Don't uh, sweat while I'm talking. Don't sweat while I'm talking. <laughs> that was that was your famous line for her, or to My you. Initiation. Yeah, there you go. That was your trial by fire. But we became close after that. I must say, we're good friends. Yeah, oh, that's great. So don't yeah, sweat it. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else? Is there anything you want to hit before we get to a chorus line? Oh, I Because I want to hit the chorus line. Yeah, but yeah. No, anything else in there that I'm missing? Oh God, that we wanna, I don't. I, mean, I don't think so. I, I was just lucky for, to go from show to show. And I thought, this is what happens. You just go from show to show yeah. until you don't. Right. <laughs> and you still are. You're and then you go, oh, what happened? And yeah. then you learn about show business in a real way. Yeah, true. This was just before Chorus Line, too, when right. I thought, oh, my God, um, am I ever going to work again? Every actor goes through that. But, you know. What was, what was that point for you? Was there, like, a, a, that low point right before? Yeah. Court? What, what I, do you remember it vividly? Like, I'm like, not working. Yeah. Not working and not... not uh, and the business was changing. New York was in, in dire straits. And Paint it for me. Are you in an apart, a little apartment in New yeah, York? Yeah, I'm struggling and, you know. Yeah. yeah it, it, and Where are you living at this time? Where in the city? I'm living um, on 69th and between Central Park West and Columbus, which wasn't all that nice then. It, now it's right. Tony, you know. Yeah. But then it was hard. Um, I, I lived all over the city, but it was just a struggle. And you go to dance class, and they were a lot cheaper then, but, but you had to pay for everything and, and voice lessons and all that. And out of this struggle and, you know, the doubt, am I ever, ever going to work again, you start doing these workshops, right, that became a chorus line, right? Yeah. It started as I workshops. I saying to Michael Bennett, you know, let's hurry up and do this because, you know, yeah. I'm getting older, you know, like... <laughs> Um, I mean, we joked about it, but it was three years before we started working on, in the workshop that, that he and Bob Avian, um, that he had talked about doing something for dancers. And so it, in the, you know, so it, it, it was a long time of it. How did you, before we get into the workshops, how did you meet Bennett to begin with? We were dance partners on a TV show called Hullabaloo. Okay. Which is a great show, actually, a um, variety show on television. They should run it in reruns. <laughs> uh, it's great. I, it's fantastic. So describe that first meeting. Do you um, remember it? Well, yeah. I, he was terrific. He was a great dancer. 
And, and I kind of said, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? I mean, because you can't keep dancing your whole mm-hmm. life. I already saw myself dancing my whole life and acting and transitioning into acting, singing and, you know. Mm-hmm. But here's this, you know, fabulous dancer and, and a guy. And, and uh, I just thought he's not going to be able to keep doing this kind of thing, you know. So what are his plans? Mm-hmm. And he said... He looked at me so uh, sincerely and said, I'm going to be a choreographer. But he said it like he'd already arrived there. Right. He had I mean, visualized it, was, it already. It was set. Yeah. It, was a, it was destiny there. And I went, ooh, it was... I said, well, don't forget about me. <laughs> His first big hit on Broadway was a show called Promises, Promises. And I was already cast in it um, because I was trying to do that thing, transition out of dancing. And... Um, so when Michael got on board as a choreographer and the show was out of town and, and they needed to cut um, the show, um, my job was going to be gone because I was a kind of a secondary figure. And so Michael said, well, she's a dancer. Let me put her in the dance number. And then he had this great number uh, at the end of the, fina- uh, the finale of the first act. And it, it just made his work just, you know, it was fantastic. And I was part of it. So he saved my job. And it put me on the map in a way and brought with the first show. And then we did Company, which was a really groundbreaking musical. Uh, Sondheim, Hal Prince, um, Stephen Sondheim. Of course, knows yeah, that, oh, yeah. Right? There's certain names you can just say the last name, right? <laughs> God, right. So bad. Like McKechnie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Oh, well. Um, so, and Company was quite, quite an experience on its own. It will always stand up. As a, as a very unique experience, um, and history-making. So then, after that, it was Michael talking about doing this show. First, it was going to be a murder mystery, a backstage murder mystery, and then it was going to be just on one set with dancers coming in, and without talking, you'd see the relationships. And then it, you know, so Evolved. it morphed into all these different things until we finally got Joe Papp to... Um, give Michael a theater, and he's carte blanche. He said, you know, take it away. He heard only a few minutes of this recording that we all made sitting around talking about um, our childhood, why we are dancers, and it just, and where we're from. Three simple questions that actually begin the show on a chorus line uh, that the director asked the dancers, and that's how it really started. So Joe heard like three minutes of this and said, okay, I love it. And after it was being performed down at the uh, Shakespeare Festival, the Newman Theater, um, we were having some... My character was actually the most fictionalized because the story was an audition, but there was a relationship between the director and the the character Cassie. And because it was... He, Michael wanted it to be a secondary storyline to give the director kind of a dramatic arc um, emotionally mm-hmm. and for Cassie Chews to have it some to raise the stakes so it's not just an audition right. um, to complicate things so she walks in and there he is so this was the hardest thing to do so Marsha Mason who was a wonderful actress and friend of Michael's came and watched the through line of this, of this Cassie character and um, and was very helpful. And yeah, because I think that's what I read was she offered maybe a ch- slightly changed the ending how well, it might turn said out. She right? has yeah. to get the job. Cassie's the one that has to get it. Because we were so close to it, and I say we when I mean 
all of us, uh, and even Michael, who was the first to admit that he needed another perspective, you know, somebody else's eyes. And, um, and he was, what he did that was so wonderful, I mean, so many things, but he was trying to be realistic. He was trying to be in a world now, after Watergate, where it was all about honesty. Right. And to talk about uh, how all people suffer with these, you know, these feelings and frustrations right. of not being able to be themselves right. entirely. And so he addressed that, and he, because he was trying to be realistic, he knew if he was the director, he would not let her in that show. Right. Because he had too many unresolved conflicts about it. Right. And he didn't want to see that every day. Yeah. Um, so Marsha said she has to. So you need this it. outside voice. She that, said yeah. because if she doesn't, then everybody loses. Then he loses. He never advanced in mm -hmm. his resolve, mm -hmm. and she never was given the second chance. Which metaphorically, that's what people who weren't in the business universally saw it as. Oh my God, the letters I got from businessmen who lost their jobs at that time and then had to start over again. The 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 second chance theme. Right. rang uh, through for so many people. Um, I was surprised. Yeah. Football players talking about their lives on the line, the lines on the football field. They started wow. relating that way. To it was a course amazing. line. Wow. Yeah. A course <laughs> lineman. <laughs> a course linebacker. <laughs> or, or, oh, my God. A course linebacker. Right. You should have gone into football. Oh, my God. No, but it's, <laughs> it's, you know, it's like when you're doing something like that, you don't, it's not your job to... Right. It's not our business to know what they, you hope it gets out there. Right. You don't know how people are going to take it. But it was very, you know, it's bigger than us, in other yeah, words. Absolutely. Well, we talked a lot about sort of the creation of it and the yeah, changes yeah. in the story and who should get it in the end and the workshops. Yeah. What about actually memories of actually being on stage performing it? Was there a particular memory, a good story you can share with us or, you know, a, a night you thought you really you oh killed it? Oh, my God, it? yes. I, the, the one that stands out for me is when we had this roaring success in this little theater, we were never publicized, the Newman Theater downtown, and people were flying in from the coast, they say, and, and you know, you'd have uh, George Burns sitting with Diana Ross on a step because there weren't enough chairs in the theater, you know. Wow. And they were on a step. On the step. In side the aisle. Side, <laughs> back there. And, yeah, I mean, uh, Groucho Marx came like 20 times, um, do you know? I Did mean, you ever he, talk to him? Did yes, he he gave us a big cape with a, a foot with an axe in it, like break a leg. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, no, we had fans. I mean, just phenomenal all the time. And so I'm leading to when we were moved to Broadway. When we made that move, and people saying, "Oh, it won't be the same. It won't be that precious thing." Um, and it was better than ever. But I remember. Um, having stage fright my whole life in every show, opening night, you know, there's, it's a kind of a beyond nervous excitement. Sure. It's something, it's like a fear. And man. that was one of the most exhilarating, freeing, celebratory experiences because the everybody on stage, all of us, opening night at the Schubert Theater and the audience who had seen the show already, it was like a big party celebration. It was just, it was celebrating not just the chorus line, but theater and audiences. Right. And it was just a wonderful, glowing experience. It's fantastic. Now, the music, was Marvin Hamlish was the music? Yes. Yes, we oh have to talk about the late great. He actually, I got 
he came in and did a, a thing for us here, like about we didn't, no one knew he was sick, and he played, you know, he played the way we were, and the, what is it, the, the spy who loved me? He played all those yeah, things, yeah. and then he died a month later. So yeah. one of his last appearances was in DC, but um, just memories of of working with with him. He is unbelievable. He is a legend, and the, his music just gives me goosebumps. But great, what about like yeah. sort of behind the scenes? He was a great uh, a great guy and a, a, a really big hearted fellow. And um, funny, and um, just a great composer, and he was a great entertainer. Um, I do symphonies now of, of his work and other composers, but when we go around to the symphonies that he guessed it, I mean, people love his work. They loved him. And, um, and he was a workaholic. I mean, he never stopped. He just loved it. There are some people that, that have the energy of about four people. They're just born that way. <laughs> And Those are the best people. Anyway. Oh my God! And, and and they're so full of life and vitality. I met Marvin when, when he was just out of Juilliard. He was like seventeen, oh, and wow. he played an audition for me. He played my audition for Sondheim the first time I met him. For a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, and he was a great musician then. You know, he was. You just, guys go way back before oh, this. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Isn't it funny how you start in certain places and then it all you combine? And, and you're you, able to see yeah. over the years the yeah. The shape of things. Watching everyone grow. That's fascinating. Um, Tony Knight. Memories of sitting there and hearing your name called. Yeah, that was shocking. <laughs> I wasn't well, well prepared. I mean, I had to be somewhat prepared, but... You have a speech ready? Sort of, uh, generally, but I, but not really, because um, I, I didn't relate to it all that well. I would, my father died, like, just a few weeks before, and so I was performing eight shows a week trying to you know, keep above the fray, and um, I, I, I don't, I remember this, I remember that my mother was in the balcony, and my feelings, I was concerned for her, but yet I thought, this is a, a major event, these are your peer. you know, this is, um, but I, you know, I was working very hard to keep myself there, um, but I remember saying to myself, going up the steps when I heard my name, which was kind of surrealistic and everybody says that but I went okay now now I went into uh, the brain went okay now you're going to walk down the aisle and not fall you're going to walk up these stairs now as I'm doing and don't do not trip and there you're going to reach out and so there was this this guide in me just walking myself through it um, and then I was able to say the things that I wanted to say pretty much I don't know how I did it, because my voice didn't sound like mine. It was kind of like, I did it without breathing, I think. Um, and then going, going off in the wings, and there was, I walked into Richard Burton. Wow. Those beautiful, I was such a, oh, admired him so much. And those beautiful blue eyes, and he yeah. said, you deserved it. Oh. And I lived on that for about five years. Yeah, well, Richard Burton, that kid, it's at least five, ten years yeah. easy, right? You can coast on that for a while. Oh, yeah. So it was, it was, it was wonderful. But it was a, a balancing act, you know? Yeah. Um, so does that just change everything? That ch once, you, once you have that, you can plaster it on, a, you know, your, the old resume? That you, you can plaster it on your resume, <laughs> but it won't get you work. Necessarily. Yeah, plaster all over the place. Yeah, it's a great honor. I mean, but it, it's not about you know. And I'm and I'm not being coy about this, but I didn't come to New York to win prizes. Right. You know. You and, shouldn't. You know. No. Because if that's it, then you've already failed. Uh, it's know? like fan mentality. You yeah. know. No. It's like it's not about stickers right. or. 
It's, um, or getting a star in the middle of your forehead. Right. Although, I never did that. I never got one of those schools, so maybe not. Um, <laughs> but no, it's about the work. And mm -hmm. anyone who's had longevity um, mm -hmm. that I've worked with will say that. Yeah. And it's gratifying. But it, it's that, that award in our business is still, you know, it's hard one because it's, it's a, theater is, is hard. Yeah. Eight shows a week is hard, and nobody knows what that's like unless you do it. And there's something about when you, um, and I was a Tony nominator for a few years. Um, they rotate people uh, every few years to keep it mm -hmm. more or less fair. But mm -hmm. it, it's subjective. But it is your peers honoring you. And yeah. that is a great, great thing. Yeah. And it does open doors. In Chorus Line, the show in itself is something never to compete with. Is it um, still the longest running? What was no, it? Or it had a record no, for a I long think, time, but I think, I think it got uh, broken recently. Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, Cats yeah, and you're right. Phantom of the you're Opera. Right. But for a while it oh was. Oh my gosh, yeah. yes. But it, and it's still running somewhere, always. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. You mentioned opening doors. Um, just, you started doing a little TV work after that, right? Dark Shadows? Oh, this was before. This was before the oh, course yeah. line? Oh, This okay. was like in the 60s. Oh, okay. Um, I'm trying to remember. No, Weren't you also was, uh, before I Cheers? Did... You did a little thing yes, on Cheers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Dark Shadows, I mean, they still have big conventions. And, you know, um, I was going to do a company, and they had to kill me off with the Pete Moss and yeah. Styrofoam Rocks. And that was <laughs> one of my better memories. Oh, and your better moments. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, some some great television in the 80s when they were still doing, you know, variety specials. And, and I miss New York too much, so I had to come yeah. back. I miss theater. Yeah. Well, that's where you belong. And yeah, now you're I back. That, yeah. And we, we're so thrilled that you are back. Um, I guess we just got to kind of just bring it full circle then. So, you know, we're back at Pajama Games. I've had the best time here at Arena Stage. Why is that? I, Why is that? that? I just want to get that in. It's just a, such a well-oiled machine and so professional at the same time. They, in a very short time, create a safe place to really create. It's yeah. not like stamping them out in, you know, regional theater usually. Absolutely. Well, I mean, the current Broadway chant started here. Dear Evan Hansen, it started here That's before right. going That's out there. That's right. You said, you said you've always wanted to work here, so this is the first time? Yes, it is. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Tell me what, what makes Molly so impressive. Just the overview she has of, of what theater is for her, but also her sense of community and all the outreach that she does. And... Uh, she, it's it's a, just a deeply heartfelt thing. I don't know her that well, but I can just tell every every room she comes in, it's a it's a it's effective the way she communicates with people. And after the show, when we have a talk back with the audience, um, she's there and to you know moderate, but but really to make the connection with the uh, sponsors always, but the people who maybe haven't come to this theater. You know, and she's, yeah. it's, it, and, the, and she invites the cast to participate, and it's, it's a great thing. You said when she walks in the room, but when you walk in the oh room, it's God. the same da, effect. Da, 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 da. Yeah. That's great. All right, let's uh, pretend that maybe our listeners have haven't seen the Pajama Game. That's hard to believe. Huge hit back 
in the 60s it won best musical the revival you know back in 06 i think won best revival and so the it's been a hit all along the way but give us a brief a brief sort of premise i know it's sort of based on the book what seven and a half cents and so right. it's, it's about trying to get you know seven and a half cent pay increase but just give them a little and, summary and to get a union yeah. to, together for these workers almost like a the normal ray of uh yes, it is. <laughs> that's a good way to describe it and it has all these offshooting relationships that, you know, Mabel, it's not on the written page, um, but uh, Ed Gero, who is a wonderful actor here. Who, oh, yeah. oh we know him well. He's come on yeah. several times. He's he did fantastic. Scalia. In, yeah, uh, yeah, he's fantastic. He's this new superintendent, and, you know, she's the, 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 you know, the complaint committee. And she's trying to protect the worker, and they get into this. So all these elements come out, and uh, we stay true to the original script, which was, it's just kind of sexist in a way, right. well, like a Doris Day movie, like a woman has her place. And well, this is 1960s. Yeah, that's right. Right. And um, even in the reprise of Hey There, originally, um, Brittany Coleman, who was brilliant as Babe, um, she started singing a reprise of the song, and then it ended with her getting upset and she couldn't finish the song. And it's just about, it's not a victim, but it's about how she's not strong and she's taken over by emotion. Yeah. So the choice was made by Alan Paul, our, our director, to complete the song and, and be strong, even though there's a lot of feeling and maybe she feels that soft about it, but she has to persevere. So that's how it's changed slightly. And, and it, it helps, makes it more palatable, but yet the message, we never change the, the dialogue, it's there. So and sometimes the people even gasp when they hear things. You're the cutest thing I've seen. And, you know, those kind of lines that come out and they're <gasps> like, oh, that's not right. So do you sort of, in the current context, you sort of view those lines in a way that like a madman or something would be. It's yes, almost a right. time capsule of that era that we can yeah. now look back and those gasps are almost healthy in a way, you know. I think so. And, and I wouldn't want it to be any other way than the way this is a slice of our history. And right. I think it's important to have that reflection. You know, this is, and I was there, so. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So when audiences come and see that, are they coming to see the show ready to gasp at that, or is it just a natural reaction? They I, I just think it's spontaneous, and, and I think that they don't know. If they haven't seen it, they don't know the show. Yeah. It's going to be, it's ever-present, yeah. you know, even if it's subliminal, it's there. So, and I think it's effective, and I think that's part of, the job of our of theater is to communicate and reflect, and the interpretation by the actors, by the director, is what changes it. Yeah. In other words, it's on the page. We respect the writing, the intent. You yeah. know, you can't stay true to the intent, but you can interpret it within, you know, bound. Absolutely. Give us an idea of what when our listeners come out, let's, and it's radio, so we're gonna have to paint a mental picture. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> what they're gonna see, because it's this, it's the what sleep tight pajama factory. Yes, That's what it's yes. called. It's I'm it. imagining. Well, honestly, they kind of did something similar in Kinky Boots with the factory of the yes, shoes, yes, but this yes. was way before kind of setting the precedent. But you know what? With this, because I work, I did two shows directed by George Abbott, who was right. the original yeah. director, and. Um, it's like those classical musicals. They're two inches off the floor, I call it. They're, um, I love that. <laughs> they're, they're, it's like they're, they're up there. The energy is high. And let's, I mean, I can't, uh, you know, 
I have to say how the, the score is great. Yeah. The score, the dancing, Parker Essie, our choreographer, created incredible dances, uh, brought Michael Danziger, who's a very well-known dance arranger, a musician, a songwriter. Michael Danziger created all new dance arrangements, and Parker opened up, especially for my number, which wasn't a dance number at all, really, just a little soft shoe, he opened that up to make it more um, uh, song and dance for the, for the two of us. And the dancing is extraordinary. Every audience that sees it, I mean, they, that's one of the first things they say, besides the, the gorgeous score. And I'm still trying to find out, maybe you can help. There's a rumor has it that Frank Lesser, who was a mentor to these writers, mm -hmm. um, wrote two songs. And one of them, I think, is Hey There. And we're trying to figure out what the other yeah, one is. Yeah, I don't hmm. know how we can uncover that. It's I'll look it up and around. put it in the... Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. I'll look it up. Because that's when, in the day when, you know, they would bring uh, trunk songs out and, right. you know, from someone else, they, sure. you know, they would help each other. All right, yeah. we'll definitely yeah. look that up and put it in the piece. A little <laughs> trivia there. Going to some of the other songs, because we remember Hey There, and there's a Hey There reprise. Um, list some of the other ones for me. Which ones, when you're when you're watching from the wings there, you're like, ooh, I can't wait to see There are no that wings oh. here. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, that's a figure of speech. Which is but. the fun of it, you know. Um, yeah, it's in the round. So yeah. that's it's When you're watching from the round, which ones do you love seeing your co-stars oh, do? Oh, uh, Hernando's Hideaway yeah. is great. And Steam Heat. You can hear the audience recognize the beginnings of, of both of those songs and they, they feel like they're, you know, with a comfortable friend. All of a sudden they, mm -hmm. they haven't, you know, you don't hear these songs as much anymore. And they were, uh, I think, they were very popular on radio yeah. and re people recorded them. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I'm still working. There's something, I have jobs for the next two years. Ooh. I don't usually have... What else that. is coming up? What's after Well, pajama? there's something that just happened. In the, I, it's not signed, sealed, and delivered, right. but it's a good thing for me. Awesome. And, um, and it's another show that I can go and keep moving yeah. and singing and yeah. acting and... And, you know, wonderful. it's wonderful. It's great. Sort of in closing, final seconds, everyone remembers you, for, you know, for chorus, a chorus line. That's like the, everyone remembers that. Wait, is there one that no one mentions that you, or that, well, I mean, that you're like, I, no, that was my favorite? The, well, there are two. I mean, the one was at the, um, the National Theater with Sweet Charity with oh. Bob Fosse and Gwen Verdon. That was the night he left the planet, yeah. as it were, you know? Yeah. Uh, that was a great, that was a, I love that role. But I think my favorite is Sally and Follies. Oh, okay. Um, when we did it at the Paper Mill Playhouse. And Stephen and, and uh, James Goldman were together again, still working on it. And I remember looking at Dee Hody, who was playing Phyllis, and I said, This never happens. 20 years later, after the original show, the writers come in and rework a piece like this and on us. It's fantastic. So that was a big. That was a great thing to do back then. Awesome. Well, you've been more than generous with your time. Oh, so. thanks, Jason. So nice meeting you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.
I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.